Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good morning and welcome. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Glad to be back, although I, as you could probably tell, that uh, that cold that uh, Orion gave to me last week, came in, he came in here all sick, drooling all over, spitting out, sneezing, God knows what he was doing. Uh, and I picked it up on Thursday and I had to run to uh, Pittsburgh this weekend and, and do an event there called uh, Living Dead Weekend, which, by the way, was kind of fun. But either way, I was sick all weekend which kind of put a little bit of a damper on the fun. Um, and uh, I'm still getting over it. I feel pretty uh, pretty much normal, but I'm just all stuffed up still. So you're going to have to put up with a stuff, stuffy, raspy voice tonight coming from the studio. I hope that's okay. And in addition to that um, nuisance, uh, we, have a, we have a schedule change, which actually turns out to be not a nuisance because as much as I wanted to talk to uh, Dell Bigtree tonight about vaccinations, and uh, the fight to, as some people would say, to limit how uh, many of these injections we're giving our children and maybe in some cases eliminate them altogether. It depends on your perspective. Um, and that's going to be a great discussion. And we are going to have that discussion. But Dell uh, had to be uh, on a plane unexpectedly and wasn't able to do the interview. So Orion and Slick Eddie uh, worked very, very diligently to find a replacement guest throughout the day today. And they came up with a really uh, interesting and and uh, kind of a home run here. Uh, Trisha Barker will be joining us. Trisha is uh, a near-death experiencer and an expert. And she's going to talk about her life, her near-death experience, how it changed her life, plus the University of Heaven Near-Death Experience Summit that's coming up um, this coming weekend. So it's going to be a fascinating discussion. We, we've had several people on the program that have had near-death experiences, and it's always a fascinating story. And what's even more fascinating is how it changes people's lives. And this, uh, the life of Tricia is, is uh, impact equally as much as anyone else, and it's going to be a fa- fabulous discussion. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and we will take your calls, and I'm hoping we can get some people who have also had their own experiences uh, to call in and join our discussion in the second hour of the program. And the number, by the way, is 844-687-7669. Something I haven't talked about in a while on the program, and I don't want to forget to bring this up. We have a lot of people that listen to the show as a podcast. Uh, we, we do our best to get the shows up the day after they air live. Sometimes we get a couple days behind because of travel schedules and stuff, but we do get them all up eventually. But uh, one of the easiest ways to do that is to go to the, uh, the your podcast app. If you have an iOS device like I do, an iPhone, it's really simple to find, and I'm sure it's equally simple on um, an Android phone. And uh, subscribe to the Beyond Reality Radio mobile podcast. Uh, it's we, we get a tremendous number of downloads now. Uh, and we like to see those numbers grow as well because it's a great way to deliver the program. And you can listen to it at your leisure, which is really, really nice. You can't participate in live call-ins, obviously, doing it that way. But you still get, get the benefit of hearing the interviews with these great guests. So, again, find it on your podcast app on your smartphone. Uh, you can also go to um, the uh, app store of your smartphone platform, whether it's iOS or Droid. And you can get the Beyond Reality Radio mobile app, which will also give you access to past shows now it won't give you as many the library isn't as large doing it that way but it is a good way to do it too so again it's a beyond reality radio mobile app a lot of great ways you can listen to the program you can also find it on the website beyondrealityradio.com so a lot of good stuff coming up in the show as well and we should go over some of our upcoming guests ken honda will be here tomorrow He'll be talking about his book, Happy Money. He shows people how to create a life of abundance by changing their relationship with money. I like talking about money. That should be a good discussion. Wednesday night, Graham Phillips, who is a historical investigator and an author, he'll be returning to discuss Stonehenge. He's been on the program before, 
And um, Stonehenge has been used as an ancient healing sanctuary and a calendar. He'll discuss that. And this is an interesting uh, one. It's kind of, uh, um, I would say it's a bit of a departure from what we normally talk about here, but it's one that's dear to my heart. James Willis, who is an author and a speaker, will be with us to talk about the Paul is dead conspiracy. If you know anything about Beatles history, you know that there was a period where there was a, a lot of rumor and scuttlebutt about Paul McCartney actually having been killed in a car accident. And that a lookalike, a double, was being used in his place. And if you look at Beatles uh, records, the cover art, and you listen to some of the songs, there were clues that were supposed to be telling the truth about this. And uh, we're going to talk about that with uh, James Willis on Thursday night. So a lot of great stuff. Oh, and I will look ahead to Monday of next week, too, because Glynis McCants will be with us. She's been on the program before. She is the numbers lady. We're going to be talking about numerology, and I'm pretty sure we'll be taking your calls, and she'll be doing readings on the phone uh, for you as it relates to numerology. So you can see we've got a lot of terrific stuff coming up on the program. And uh, one final thing before we go to break here, uh, make sure you visit the YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and search J.V. Johnson. It's a great way to also find back programs um, in the archive there. There are several hundred there for you to listen to and view. And it's also a great way to pick up the program if you don't have a way to do it on the radio. If, one of the, if you don't have a local radio station, this is a great way to, to find the show. Plus, there's a live video stream. And that's always fun too, right? And a great chat room, by the way. Uh, our guest tonight, Tr- uh, Trisha Barker, is a near-death experiencer and a near-death experience expert. Her website is her name, Trisha Barker, N-D-E, as in neardeathexperience.com. And she's got a new book out called Angels in the O.R. Trisha, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, I'm happy to be talking with you. Sounds like a great program. Did you notice my cold? Can you hear that? You know, I'm all, all stuffed up. I had a bad weekend. Yeah. I'll send you some healing energy. Please do. Your death experiencers have that ability. Yes, please, please, please do. I appreciate that. Okay, so, you know, I know we're going to be talking about your experience and how your life changed after the experience. But before we get to that, let's talk about you prior to that event. Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before you had your near-death experience. Yeah, so I'm really hoping to connect with a crowd of agnostics because that's who I was. I was a college student that was agnostic. I looked down on religion. I thought it was for people who were weak, and, you know, that was just my mindset. I worshipped in the halls of academia, and I really could care less about spirituality. If I would have been, you know, I would have thought, oh, that's so woo-woo and so weird, and she's nuts, and, you know, something's <laughs> wrong with her. <laughs> You know, I would have really looked down on that. I was pretty judgmental. Materialistic, I think I totally bought into this culture and materialism, and I grew up poor. I'll make it, you know, and, and my best shot, I thought, was in the writing world as an editor or lawyer. You know, those were my skills. So that's basically who I was before that transformative experience. And as as we were leading up to that particular event in your life, you were a, a student? Yeah, so I was a college student at the University of Texas in Austin, which is a great town. Have you been to Austin? I have not been to Austin. It's a great music city, though. Oh, yeah, and that, unfortunately, will keep you out until all hours <laughs> of the night, any night of the week. So I was kind of lost in the party scene as well, and uh, a lot of people do kind of get lost in Austin. And that was another part of my story. So you were, um, and, you, and you cut out a little bit when you were, when you were uh, answering the original question here, so forgive me if I, if I um, repeat myself or repeat, ask you to repeat yourself. Um, you, you, were, you were agnostic. You were not a religious person. Was your family religious as you were growing up? They were, actually. So my mother and father were pretty much estranged. They didn't get a divorce, but my father was not around very much. But my mother was highly religious, but... The type of religious person who's very judgmental and, um, you know, evangelical, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of hell, fire, and brimstone. You're going to go to hell if you do this. We weren't allowed to listen to any rock music. So I think I was overcompensating in Austin, (laughs) really digging in into that that worldliness. So do you feel as though your uh, attitude toward religion prior to your near-death experience was a rebellious one? I mean, 
I mean, it was, oh, yeah. did it put, were you in that position because you were rebelling on, uh, in the way you were brought up in a way? Yeah, because I, I looked around at people who were religious and I mean, many times they were abusive to children. Yeah. They were just not good people or they were, they, like my mother, she was emotionally abusive and physically abusive to me and that she stayed in this marriage with my father and didn't feel that she as a woman could go out into the world and get a good job and take care of herself. So I thought, wow, religion just really hampers her from being her whole self. <laughs> you know, like it, I just saw it as a detriment and not as this blessing. You know, I thought that she should have gotten divorced and left my dad and gone back to college. And, and I told them that. It was this type of headstrong, you know, kid, which I'm sure they didn't appreciate <laughs> in <laughs> retrospect, where I was like, uh, you guys need to get divorced. And that's just kind of the way that I operated. You know, like I, I very much was centered in the brain. And, and you mentioned the word materialism. Uh, you may have had a, a bit of a materialistic tendency, which I think most people at that age do. Um, as you Did you have an appreciation for people around you? Do you feel like you had a love for the the people that you associated with as just as just humans? Um, yes and no. So the I'm part of Generation X and you know they categorized Generation X as clickish. Right. And so I liked my friends and I thought my friends were cool and they listened to the same music as me and they in in general we had a lot of things in common and I'd say that I cared about them, but I wouldn't say that I deeply loved them. I was a basically a good human being. I didn't go out of my way to harm people or, you know, I wasn't a bully or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, I've heard, you know, Danny and Brinkley, he talks about being a bully and having to live in his near-death experience, re- his life review, all the times he beat up people. So, you mm-hmm. know, no, I wasn't a bad person, you know, <laughs> but, but I didn't go out of my way to be super kind or, or really care deeply about strangers. At that point of, of your, in your life, what was your ambition? What were you going to school for? Um, you know, I started out, and I wanted to be an environmental scientist. I cared a lot about the earth. Uh, then my math skills were not that great coming from this country town, so I quickly realized that my writing skills were my strongest skills. And so I'd taken the LSAT, and I assumed that I'd eventually go to law school because law school would be – uh, most likely, you know, the the path that would bring me the most money. But you didn't get that far. Um, and I don't, I, I, we're going to go to break here really shortly. So I don't want to get into the near death experience yet because I want to ha- want you to have plenty of time to be able to tell us exactly what happened. Um, yeah. but as you were, as you were living at that point, um, did you feel like you had any spiritual connection with even being an agnostic? Did you feel like you had a spirit, spiritual connection with other people? Uh, you know, I was pretty much uh, selfish in a way. I felt like I had this bubble around me that may have been some fear, insecurity. I don't know exactly what it was, but I didn't feel that I deeply connected with people. I mean, I felt that I came out of my shell in college and I learned how to flirt and wait tables and, you know, make money. And I, I learned, you know, the basics of just being a charming human being, but I didn't. I didn't care deeply, to be honest. And a lot of this uh, changes in your life, and we'll get to that after the break. But one more yeah. question: one more question <laughs> before we go to break here. You know, many people at that age feel almost invincible in a way. Nothing bad can really happen to them. You know, I mean, is is that how you felt? Oh yeah, largely. I mean, I was in complete denial of death. I hated the idea of the possibility of death because I thought I would just die and that would be it. And and it would merge with the earth, and my consciousness wouldn't go on, and I definitely feared it. But, but yeah, I largely felt invincible, and, you know, like I had a long life out of me. And that all changes, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it changed in a big way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I went from denial to acceptance <laughs> in, in one day. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going we're gonna to go to break here, and when we come back, we will uh, get into the details of Trisha's near-death experience, and not only the experience itself, but how it radically changed her life and her perspective and her understanding of everything around us. And I think that's the most important thing. Uh, A reminder, we will take your phone calls in the second hour of the program for questions, comments, especially if you as well 
have an experience, whether it's near death or out of body, or a friend or a family member has had one of those experiences and shared them with you. We'd love to hear from you about that as well. The number is 844-687-7669. And again, we will take those calls in the second hour of the program. Once again, quickly looking ahead, tomorrow night we've got Ken Honda on. Ken is the author of a book called Happy Money. He's going to show people how to create a life of abundance by changing their relationship with money. It's all about perspective. And Wednesday, Graham Phillips will be here. He's a historical investigator. He'll talk about Stonehenge as it was used as an ancient healing sanctuary and a calendar. Let's talk about what happened. Now, you're living life as a college student, enjoying life. Um, Obviously, you did not have any idea what was about to happen to you. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so I don't write about this part in the book, but I did have a couple of bad dreams, or you might say premonitions, that something major was coming. The night before the accident, I heard both of my parents' voices like screaming down this tunnel, watch out, Trisha, watch out, and I woke up in the sweat, and then I was on my way to run the Austin 10K, a big run, and I had a head-on collision on the way to the race. I didn't normally get up at 6 a.m. and might have fallen asleep at the wheel, might have just misjudged the second light, but whatever the case, I I hit someone almost at a head-on at 60 miles an hour. My car was very small, and later it was a Honda Civic hatchback, and, and this is the year 1994, and the car was like an 89, and I looked up crash records at that rate of speed and they say instant death <laughs> you know in most cases and yeah. uh i was in bad shape i couldn't reach the glove box because my back was broken and i was slumped over to one side luckily the people that i was in the collision with were outside of their car and they were in a very large suv so it looked like they maybe weren't as badly hurt as i was but by the time I got to the ER, I, you know, they gave me several MRIs, and and uh, I knew that I had a broken back in three places, and I also knew that I was losing feeling in one of my legs, and that really bothered me because sure. I, I was wondering if I was going to be in a wheelchair. If I but you were complete, you're completely conscious during this whole pro- thing. Yeah, so my body felt very hot. I mm-hmm. think that's what happens when you go into shock. Uh, I felt just hot all over. I remember sweating, and I do remember feeling like this pain in my back that felt like a poker had been stuck into my back. So there was some pain, but it wasn't quite as overwhelming as someone might imagine. Right. Uh, there was. I just felt very uncomfortable and. I waited 17 hours for a surgeon because in a college town, there's a lot of accidents, and it's a it's a long, complicated story, but that's, that's how long I waited. Wow. Wow. So, uh, I, I, first of all, I can't imagine being in that kind of accident. That alone, um, I mean, like you said, the chance of survival is, is slim given the, the circumstances you described. Uh, so you had a, a bit of a miracle there already. Um, yeah, and now yeah. and now you're in the the emergency room, I assume, and you're with a broken back, three places, and you're waiting for a surgeon. And I mean, were were you? And forgive the the forgive this, but I'm not sure how to ask it otherwise. But were you were you bloodied? Was 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 there, was there other damage to you at that um, point? I had internal injuries, so they mm-hmm. kept touching my stomach, and I did not. Another interviewer, uh, Howard Hughes, I don't know if you know him, out of London, he asked if I had any head injuries, you know, because skeptics always want to know this. No, my head didn't hit the steering wheel, but uh, I had the seatbelt. I didn't have um, anything, you know, that an airbag or anything like that. But I I knew that the seatbelt had really caused some pretty deep internal uh, injuries, and so they they didn't want to give me medication because they didn't know how badly I was bleeding internally. Yeah. yeah. And so they had to wait for a surgeon and I overheard something that I probably shouldn't have overheard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people get so angry about this part of my story, but this is just what I overheard. I overheard two nurses saying the surgeon isn't going to come in to operate because she doesn't have health insurance. I was a college student what? and I'm sure that, 
you know, that that's against the law or whatever. I don't know who he was at the time, <sighs> but I just know that I overheard that. So I really panicked at that point. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm a throwaway person because I don't have health insurance. Someone has to operate on me. There was a woman who was off duty who was a neurosurgeon. And she looked at my chart, and she seemed kind of curious about it. And I grabbed her arm, and I said, look, if I can't walk, I'm going to kill myself, so please operate on me. And I think that got her attention, and she said, you know, I've been on duty for a long time. I'll go home. I'll take a nap. I'll come back, and I'll operate on you. And she did. And so I was taken into surgery, and I remember signing this form that said 17% chance of death. And I thought, oddly specific. Okay, yeah. but whatever. I'm 22. You know, wow. I'm not going to die. <laughs> and what? when the next thing that I knew, though, is I just popped out of my body, and I was looking at my body on the operating table, and they must have been at work for quite okay, some so, time. Okay, so because... let me just back you up here. Okay, so you had the accident. You're in the emergency room. Your back is broken in three places. You've got massive internal injuries, but you're, this near-death experience hasn't happened yet. It's not until you went on the operating table. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, and that's why I titled the book Angels in the OR, because... Angels were the last thing that I expected to see, but they were something I saw. So the first thing I saw, though, was I I had this 360-degree vision, and a lot of near-death experiencers have that type of vision, but I was interested in the body. You know, there was my body. It was very bloody. I remember thinking, wow, surgery is more gruesome than I thought it would be. They had my hip opened, and there was a long incision down my back, and they were busy working. But the next thing that I saw were light beings, and I call, I just called them beings for a long time because they shocked me. They were deeply intelligent, and they were standing in front of me behind the surgeons. And I knew, like, from this first moment, I have to tell you that I was so excited that I wanted to go back into my body and tell all of my agnostic friends, hey, we go on. Like, that was all I needed. I had a a very long near-death experience with a lot that went on during this. But that consciousness outside of the body, to me, meant that this realm was kind of the dream and the non-reality and that there's so much more consciousness, so much more intelligence, so much more than we understand. And all you have to do is, like, taste it for a minute and then you know that, okay, that's the reality that we're missing so much of the time and that I had not known. And I was certain I could convince all those agnostic friends of mine. This, you know, this, it, it this, didn't happen, This is but, what is but this, I was certain in that it, moment yeah, that I could do it. This is what was going through, I don't even know if I should call it your mind, because I'm not sure, your, your being, um, yeah. as, you were rec- as you were seeing what was going on below you on the operating table and you were experiencing these light beings and your reaction at that point was i need to let everybody know about this yeah i was just so certain that there was something about me that could convince all my agnostic friends like hey you just haven't thought about it about what it's like when you die like your spirit form continues on and then you're connected up with a consciousness that is greater than your own consciousness and I had put so much emphasis on the brain, and so did they, but I thought, wow, I'm thinking so much clearer outside of the body, and there's so much intelligence that's flowing from these angels and and light beings, you know, that whatever you want to call them, I just knew that they were highly, highly intelligent. And they were telling me what to, you know, how to behave in this realm and how to calm down and how to just feel okay about being the spirit form. Then they slowed down and they said, watch this, and they sent this healing light, and I just knew, like, they didn't have to communicate, it just something that you just know, and I knew that this light would help the doctors pick out the bone fragments out of my spine, and and that they were facilitating part of my healing, and I thought, God, those doctors don't even realize it, (laughs) you know, they don't realize that these angels are working through them to help me, and I was stunned by that information, it's just it's the type of information that I'd never in a million years thought existed. But I was watching it in that realm and watching my body, but then the monitor flatlined, and I thought, oh, "Oh, I'm technically dead. So I guess I was out of body, and that was the moment when I was technically dead, and I didn't want to see how they were going to revive me. 
And I thought, I have to get out of here. <laughs> I don't want to see this. Before, so I left before you leave, before, yeah, before you do go to that part, I just want to, so the, the light beings, which you now refer to as angels, um, was the light that they were directing to help the healing process for you, was that going to you or was it going through the, through the physicians that were doing the work? It was going through, the, that's a good question. It was going through the back of the physicians, through their hands and whatever they were using, you know, when they're working on me, whatever um, they were doing and into my body. And then my whole body lit up with this light. And so I think that people who are in service to others or people who are simply doing good, you know, and, and doing well at what they're doing can be worked through, through that angelic realm. And did you notice any change in the people that were working on you at that point when that light started to flow through them, or were they completely unaware? Completely unaware, and I, I know later that they were not open to it or not even aware of yeah. it, because I, I asked my surgeon, you know, that was something I, I, I wasn't shy about the experience. I talked about it as soon as they took the tracheotomy out of me. I, I confirmed, you know, what happened with my surgeon, but... But it was not something that she wanted to discuss. And wow. So, yeah. So, no, no. But they did it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> how how many how many of these light beings were with you at that point? Do you know? Yeah, there were two very large ones, and they two. were um, mostly androgynous. I, if I had to say one um, sex or the other, I'd probably say more male. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had longish hair, flowing hair, and. And just a deep strength and intelligence. Were they, a complete, I, I felt, were they um, in complete human form or were they, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have this vision of kind of a more of a nebulous kind of humanoid shape, but more glowing and more light. That's pretty close. So yeah. they, they did have a human-like face, but they were composed of light and it seemed as if they just made their form up in order to give right. me peace. Right. And... And it, it was this form that was very tall, like eight or nine feet. And people would ask, did they have wings? I don't think so. They just had kind of flowing clothes or flowing robes, like a hint of clothes. It wasn't yeah. That wasn't the important part. Their eyes and their intelligence was the important part. So, and, and that they could communicate telepathically. I mean, how strange is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, as this is going on, you see the flat line. Now you're aware of this in your in your the form of, that your soul has taken, your consciousness has taken. You know, I have to say that first I was perfectly fine with being dead because I was so excited that I had this spirit form, this consciousness that I knew was the real me in a sense, or the me that I could carry on beyond the body. And I didn't feel any sorrow or pain. I just thought, oh, that's dead. Move on. <laughs> it was just kind of a, a, a nothing right. uh, moment, you know, where I thought, oh, well. And I did have some lingering thoughts about who I was leaving behind. And in the hall, I saw my stepdad who was getting a candy bar. And I didn't know him that well because my mom had remarried while I was in college. But I thought, hey, I hope he's good to my mom and I wish him well. And that incident ended up being a veridical perception, so a verified moment that happened oh, really? in some near-death experiences. And I didn't realize this at the time, but later researchers, Dr. Jen Holden and National Geographic and and all these other outlets would uh, see that moment that I experienced during my near-death experience and and be fascinated by it. So I remember thinking, hmm, okay, I thought he was kind of a health nut, but here he is eating the Snickers bar. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> you know, like a wish you will. And then I left the hospital, and I began to merge with the consciousness of people I'd known in Austin and people I hadn't known. Maybe I just passed them or they just lived in the town. And I felt this great peace, and I felt this um, not really regret, but just this longing to say, Hey, I love you. I may not have said that very often, but you know, I love you all. I hope you have a great life. I'm done with this life. Goodbye. You know that kind of feeling. And then I transitioned into what kind of looked like the cosmos or outer space. There were just a lot of stars, and I felt the beginning of a higher intelligence coming toward me. And what I mean by that is like the light that came from the angel's eyes. I felt this light coming from very far away. 
and I call it God. Uh, but this this consciousness helped me review my life, and I had what many near-death experiencers have, which is a life review. Some people have very detailed life reviews, and some people just have moments. Mine was composed mainly of moments, and didn't have to relive anything that anyone had done to me, like bullied me or treated me badly. Uh, I didn't have to live anything painful, but I did. I was held accountable for how I had treated others. And so it was shown moments where I'd been really good. <laughs> and I had loved animals and I had deep uh, connection to nature as a kid and to God as a kid. And I was shown that this was good. And then I was shown how I was a little bit snobby and cold to some people who I worked with because I didn't think they were, quote, cool, and they actually went home and prayed for me. Oh, wow. And I just felt humbled in that moment. I felt so sad that I had not taken the time to talk with them and to look at their hearts, and I saw what beautiful hearts they had, and I thought, oh, if I come back to my life, I'm going to really look at people's hearts, and I'm going to get to know them, and I'm not going to judge them by their age or what shoes they wear or what bands they listen to. I'm going to just know them as people, and it it just really it humbled me. That's all I can say. Is as, that moment was my greatest lesson. Yeah, as you're describing this, I can hear the transformation taking place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a heartfelt moment where I wanted to hug these people. I wanted to tell them I love them. I wanted to tell them thanks because that genuine hope probably helped me in ways that I didn't even know. And I look back at how I didn't bother to talk to them or I blew them off. And I thought, okay, I don't really like that part of myself. I'm going to be different. And the good news is I did become different, but but that moment kind of taught me something. And then I transitioned into this realm which many people call heaven, but it was this beautiful landscape of green grass. And what I always remember about it is that every blade of grass looked like there had been no death or no harm that had ever come to it. It was just emerald green, flowing, and beautiful. And the only person who was dead in my family was my grandfather. And he died when I was 10, and he looked young, and people loved that that idea that you can choose what age you want to be, and he looked about 35 or so. As I was in this room, I started hearing messages um, telepathically. They were still coming from that light, that love of God, and I heard messages like, love is all that matters, um, remind them to go to nature, be like a little child. And when I heard be like a little child, I thought, hey, my, if that's my grandfather, he picked a form that's younger than he is. I'll pick a form that is a child. And so I ran up to him as if I was a kid, and I recognized him because he was with this truck, of all things. And I, I know that some people think that near-death experiences are hallucinations or dreams, but I saw it as he manipulated reality, and he wanted me to recognize him, and he had given this truck to our family, and the truck was rusted and falling apart and sitting in our yard, but in heaven it was new. We're going to have to, I'm sorry, Trish, we've got to pick it up after the break. Sorry to do that. We'll be right back. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products, and all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark, because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save. By the way, those who've been asking where Jason is, which is a very, very legitimate question, uh, he's on a 16-week uh, filming schedule. So he's going to try to get on the program one of these nights with us again, um, but it, it's going to be very difficult for him until the sched- the filming is done uh, for his new t- television show that's coming up called Ghost Nation. That will be uh, debuting in October is the target date. They should be able to handle that. It'll be on the Travel Channel. And uh, as we get more information here, I will pass it on for sure. Our guest tonight, Trisha Barker, is a near-death experience expert. Her website is Trisha Barker, N-D-E, for neardeathexperience.com. She's got a book out. It's relatively new. It's called Angels in the OR. And Trisha, I'm so sorry these breaks keep interrupting um, our discussion here. 
But you were talking about what has to be one of the sweetest parts of your story um, as you were going through this process after you had flatlined on the operating table. And you said that you you um, met met or re-met your grandfather who uh, appeared to you as a somebody who was about 35 years old. You recognized him right away. And he had something with him, this truck, that was something that you recognized immediately. So pick up the story there. Yeah, so the truck had rusted in our yard, and in heaven it was a working, beautiful truck, just like there was no spot of death or decay in any of the leaves of grass. The grass was just beautiful and alive, and everything there seemed to sing with this beauty of being fully alive, and I felt fully alive, too. He looked as if he was glowing. He just looked beautiful, and seemed to look like that. He had died of leukemia, and to see him young and happy and vibrant was incredibly peaceful, and then we did what we had done when I was a kid. He died when I was 10, so when I was quite young, I would step in the back of the truck, and he would drive this truck through the fields, and so we did this for a while, and I just felt at peace and happy and and totally free. And then he turned to me and he said, do you want to keep going? And I knew what kept go, keep going meant. That meant going towards the light of God. And I flew toward that light of God with just great joy. And I have to tell you that that's, that is the best experience of the near-death experience, is being in the presence of God. I didn't I didn't feel any pain. I didn't feel any fear. And it's so easy to feel fear or even just an uncomfortableness in our body. You mentioned having a cold. It's a little trivial. (laughs) You feel great (laughs) in the presence of God. There's nothing wrong. (laughs) And everything is right. You feel so loved. And I felt more loved than I'd ever been loved before. I felt safe to love God. So I felt both free and safe. And I didn't want to go back. And many, many near-death experiencers who have great lives, you know, they might describe having a wonderful family and success. They don't want to go back once they touch that love of God. And I didn't have the greatest of lives, and I really didn't feel that much of a connection to, to anyone. I felt a few people's prayers trying to pull me back. And, and I thought, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be here soon enough. Time felt relative in that space. I just thought, you know, whatever. You know, if I don't come back, it's not a big deal. And then God stopped me and said, look down. And I saw this river that was flowing, and I knew this river meant, like, life or this continuation of life. And I saw all these souls, and I knew instinctively that they were just souls. And some of them had their lights on, and these lights seemed to be in connection with God that seemed to be living in their purpose. And then other people seemed to be covered with fear, and this fear was represented through darkness. And so I saw that there was just love and just fear, and fear was what needed to be removed from people. And God said, you're going to go back, and you're going to be a teacher. And that's the one part of my near-death experience where I was upset. And I said, oh, no, 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 Uh, you do not know me. (laughs) I do not want to be a public speaker, number one. And number two, I want to make money, so that is not a career for me. (laughs) And God kind of laughed. And that was the last moment I had in heaven, and I was kind of hurled back into my body at that point. So he laughed and said, uh-uh, you're doing it my way. <laughs> tell, me, <laughs> yeah. tell, tell me about— And I have to— Go, you know, go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. No. Tell me about God for a second. Um, you know, we many of us, particularly those of us who are uh, Christian or in Western cultures, have a particular image of what God is. Is is that what you meant, or is is it something that we haven't defined yet? You know, I felt the light and the love of God, so I don't know if I would have seen a figure, if I would have kept going. Ions does a lot of near-death experience research, and I've interviewed Dr. Jeffrey Long and other people who have done extensive near-death experience research, and most people do not see a religious figure. Some people do see Jesus. Some people who grew up Hindu see Jesus, and some, you know, like there's all kinds of, of varieties of yeah. of. Uh, experiences, but most people see a light. And I also interviewed in the Near-Death Experience Summit that I have with Lisa Smart and Dr. Raymond Moody, I interviewed John Burke, and he wrote the book Imagine Heaven. And I love it that a Christian pastor 
wrote a book like this because he he kind of eases the minds of many Christians who are like, you didn't see Jesus. You know, like, well, I heard the words be like a little child, and I saw light. And how many times is light mentioned in the Bible? So many times. Right, John yeah. Burke points out, you know, that be the light of the world, and Jesus, you know, is described as a light. Yeah. And there's numerous accounts of light in the Bible as goodness, and and it. uh and so, of course, you know, experiencing that love, which was also light, is just my experience. Maybe I would have found out more if I would have kept going. And I think this is this is. I don't. I hope you don't mind my little <laughs> divergent tangent, but this is something that kind of bugs me about. You know, people often look at near-death experiencers and they think we're arrogant, but we got a glimpse. You know, like, it's not that I'm arrogant. I just don't have to have faith. I know. You know. You know, I know that there's a God, and I know it with every part of my being. And I'm not saying that to make other people feel bad. I I would love to give it to other people if I could transmit it, you know, in some way. And so I keep trying. I keep talking. That's why a lot of us write books, and we continue to talk about these things as we want other people to know with as much certainty as we do. And, you know, I could phrase it a little less arrogantly and just say, my faith is unshakable. You know, there's there's nothing, you know, that I could go through that, and I have been through a lot in life before and after that experience, and I just know that that's the physical world, that that's not the that's not the love of God. You know, this this world is not easy at times to to traverse, but God is all loving, and that's where the healing always exists. In, is coming back to God. In in just a, a minute or so here, um, tell us what happened when you were you've got you as you put it, you got thrown back into your body. Um, so obviously, you were revived uh, by the medical team and maybe the angels. Um, and you started a process here, which had to include some kind of healing. So tell us what happened here. Yeah, so I was, the first memory that I have when I was back in body was being very unhappy (laughs) to be back in the body, (laughs) first of all. And then, of course, I was coming out of surgery, and the nurses were asking me to say my name, and I had a bit of confusion. I, because I still felt like I was a consciousness and this eternal being who had been in this timeless place far, far more intensely than being Trisha Barker. So I said, yes, I remember her name. I have to come back to her, and her name is Trisha. And I said, uh, that's not going to work. You need to say, you know, who are you? And I said, no, she's Trisha, and I'm, I guess I have to be here. <laughs> I kept arguing with them, and that was my first little bit of confusion as I, I felt like it was limiting to be me. I felt like the brain was a limiter, and one of the other people I've, I've interviewed is even Alexander, and he calls the brain a filter of consciousness, so not something that we just rely on right. as the end all to everything, but it actually filters out some of that amazing consciousness. And that's definitely how I felt. I felt like, oh, no, this is really boring. I have to come back to her. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm assuming as well, um, you know, you had a physical pain that returned. You had all these sensations that the physical body experiences that you were free from during the uh, out-of-body experience or the near-death experience. Oh, yeah. My body was in bad shape. They had finished the surgery, and they, it was kind of touch and go with the internal injuries. My surgeon came in, though and touch my feet and said, hey, you can feel that, right? And, I, you know, I could feel my left leg, and wow. so the feeling was back, and she she was there for a moment, and I said, hey, I died. <laughs> How long was I dead? And she replied very uneasily, we thought we lost you for a wow. couple of minutes, but you're fine. You're going to get some blood transfusions. Let's just, you know, focus on that. You're, you'll feel better in a bit. So I, I got the, the hint that she did not want to talk about this. And that was disappointing because I wanted to talk about yeah. the angels and I wanted to talk about everything. And I, I kept talking and people kept making jokes saying it was the morphine. And after a while, I started to freak out because I was in the hospital for nine days. And I thought, oh, what if I lose some of this because of all the medicine that's pumping through my body? So I started writing down what I could remember. And I wrote down everything about the angels that I could remember. And then I remember looking at the body and going, oh. 
you know, my arms were badly bruised, my face was puffy, everything about me just didn't look the same. I was in, in pretty bad shape, and and that was sobering for a minute. I thought, ooh, okay, you know, I've got to gotta heal this body. We're going to go to break here uh, in just a second, but did you feel at that point that you were on a mission of some sort, or did, does that come later? Do you feel like you... Or when you were sent off by God, that you had a purpose? Yeah, I really did. As soon as on day nine, they got me up and I walked the hall and I realized I was going to be a teacher and I would have to do what God said. (laughs) (laughs) That that was just the end (laughs) of my willfulness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to ask you about what happened to you after you recovered because you you became a teacher, you went into teaching, and you went overseas. And I know this is an important part of your story because you were your, your faith uh, was challenged um, because of a terrible accident. You you found your answers, and then then something horrible happens to you. Tell us what happened quickly. Um, yeah, so I was uh, I was a teacher in South Korea, and when you live in a foreign country, you know, you're not a citizen of that country. I had a work visa, and I didn't realize that I was perhaps in more danger not being a citizen of the country, and um, I was sexually assaulted, and there was no justice because uh, it's hard enough to get justice, I think, you know, for South Korean women, much less a foreigner, so I was just advised to let it go, and go home if I wanted to and and uh, just deal with it. And so that moment was a big challenge, of course, being back in the body and having to learn to heal from that. But what I found is working as a teacher in public schools with junior high students and high school students and then later college students, many students have been either victims as children or they've been victims as teenagers or adults. And, and this is men and women. You know, they're there was a young boy in one of my classes who fell apart, and the other teachers didn't understand what was going on, but his, the guy who had raped him when he was a kid was getting out of jail that day and coming back to that town, and oh, he wow. was not doing well that day. But I saw that. I was able to work with him and you know get him to the counselor and then just talk with him that year about how to heal and how to, how to really put his life back together from that moment. And you know, I think being able to see that wound in so many people and see and offer them a way to get counseling and begin a healing process helped a lot of people. It wasn't ideal, you know, but, but we live in a world that isn't ideal. So whatever we experience, we're called to reform it, to change it, to to bring more healing, I think, to societies and yeah. to bring more awareness. So anytime I had a student who wanted to join the Peace Corps, you know, I'd remind them, you know, about, you know, check into the laws of that country and yeah. what are you getting yourself into and and do you know where the embassy is and, and you know just basic safety things. What did that do to you? Um you had already had such a a, 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 a terrible but then turned amazing experience with the accident and the near death experience. You met God. You talked and heard from God. Uh, and then this happens to you, which must have seemed, you know, horrible beyond belief. Uh, did it shake your confidence at all? Well, there's two parts to it. So, yes, in the physical body, I do suffer some trauma, and I've worked with the PTSD and the panic attacks and that sort of thing. Yeah. But the spiritual realm is the great healer, because I know that we don't take any of that pain with us, that... And so I thought, well, how can I bring some of that healing into the lives of other people and speed it up? How can I bring it into my own life? And how can I really give hope to people, no matter what they've gone through, whether it's financial loss, divorce, you know, sexual assault, uh, child abuse, whatever, we all have trauma. I mean, I'd say that most everyone on the planet, even if they've had a super yeah, but there's, life, there, there's a, has there, had their heart broken. <laughs> there's an intimacy with the type of assault and, and trauma that you went through versus money problems or one of these other things you list. I mean, it's very, very different, very, very personal. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it was a harder one to heal. But it's it's more common than people think. I mean, I yeah. tell people to go go volunteer in a low-income school district for six weeks and your life will be changed. You know, there's so many kids who are unprotected. You know, fathers are not there. Mothers are working all the time. And they're just kind of left 
in dangerous situations. And so there's a lot of trauma in children's lives and teenagers' lives. And it's it's way more common than we realize in I some think, areas. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Trisha, the book, Angels in the R. Now, you didn't decide to write this right away, uh, but what made you finally decide to put this into a book? That's a good question. So my mission was simply to teach, and I lived that out for 25 years, and I worked with students of all ages, junior high to college. And one day, about five years ago, I was walking up the stairs, and I heard this booming, again, telepathic message, and it was... Basically, the message was, your mission is completed. You've done what I ask. You're free to do what you want. And I thought, what? Well, <laughs> Am well, I this, just going to die? This you just, mean my mission is done? It's over? This just you know, hit can, you? It just hit you as you were walking along, this message? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was so strange. And I assumed I would teach until I was 90 and you know, just keep keep plugging away and yeah. trying to make a difference. And when I heard that, I kind of jokingly said, because, of course, I'm a jokester, I was like, what do you think I want? So I can just go sit in a hammock in a tropical location and I'll be taken care of? <laughs> God was like, not exactly. You kind of learned your lesson. You learned that if you, you work with others and you work to make their lives better, your own life becomes better. So you, know, you don't have to teach. You can do that in other ways. And I thought, okay, well, then I'll the world. I'm an English professor and one of my heroes is Frank McCoy, and he wrote Angela's Ashes, and I thought, mm-hmm. all right, then I'll inspire all those students who did like writing, and I'll, I'll write a book and put it out there in the world, even at a time when, when there are not as many readers and bookstores are closing like mad. I thought, yeah. whatever, I'll do it, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll, I'll have fun with it, and it'll be more than the book. It will just legitimize near-death experiences, and that's what I hope to do is you know, they're all kind of memoirs out there, like Eat, Pray, Love, and Glass Castle, and um, a really great one that just came out was Educated. And, you know, all of these memoirs talk about, and they have some similar themes to me, parents who were somewhat undependable or abusive in, in some cases, and yet they their spirits strove to do more and see more and you know, there was that element of my story, but there's also the near-death experience element. And I thought, I don't want just spiritual readers. I, I mean, I want them because they understand me, but I want that mainstream crowd and agnostics across the country to read my near-death experience and go, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe this is what happens when we die, you know, and, and kind of open up some. So that was my hope. What do you say to folks who's, who... um don't necessarily take your experience the way you take it. I mean, they're obviously skeptics. They're obviously critics, uh, but they're also people that just don't don't see don't see it the same way you do. I mean, you you must oh, yeah. you must meet these people. Oh yeah! In fact, I was really excited when the book came out, and I posted a link in my graduate school. And this man attacked me, and he said, "I can't believe that you know Simon and Schuster published the ebook part, and Post Hill Press uh, published the paperback." believe legitimate publicists would would publish something about angels and I can't believe, you know, someone from our class would write about angels. <laughs> you know, and he's wow. just like a you know, a hurricane or atheist. And I I replied, you know what, you're my ideal reader. Go ahead and read it and and judge my writing and judge my skill at telling my story. And I'd rather have you any day of the week than someone who is going to criticize my actual experience, you know, and just go, you didn't see Jesus, or you didn't do this, or you know, like, yeah. I'd rather have an agnostic kind of, or a hardcore atheist at least open their minds just a tiny bit that maybe I wasn't hallucinating, maybe I'm this certain, and maybe I'm reliable. Does, um, you've, you've met with many other near-death experiencers since yeah. you had your experiences, and specifically since you've really uh, started to talk about it more openly. Um, do you find that the stories and the experiences have a commonality to them? Um, it, are they the same type of experiences across the board, or does every single one differ depending on the person? there are some commonalities and this desire to spread healing in the love is in love in this world is something that I've noticed. So I partnered with Lisa Smart and Raymond Moody this year. Last year I created this online summit 
And this year I worked with them and we interviewed lots of people and they tell their stories online. And then there's on June 23rd, we have this day where people can ask their questions and near-death experiencers. But most of us come back with a mission to help other people and not to harm others. So, you know, when I, I see people who are in the state of wanting to do good for this world, whether it's adding therapy through art or through music or through through being a minister, whatever the case, there are people who just want to do good in this world. And for me, it was doing good in the school system. But I think there is this natural humanitarian desire in, in near-death experiencers. And there's also an excitement that we feel about God. You know, we can't yeah. help but kind of long for it, miss it, get excited about that presence of God. So there are definitely commonalities, though the stories differ a little. There are certainly after effects that we have in common. Um, a lot of people who've had a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience um, often come back and they have other sensitivities that have either developed or awakened. And I know that's true of you as well, right? You're now a medium. Yes, I uh, I am a reluctant medium, and I don't give <laughs> many readings. And I, I don't really delve into that too much. But, but when my father died, I went ahead and followed him in the afterlife, and I got many messages from him. And I continued to communicate with my grandfather since I saw him in heaven, and I think I think we have a natural connection to our loved ones, and I love to open other people up to their own connection to their loved ones and verify that for them, and that's why I don't mind doing it on occasion. And do you know, is it, is it that after that experience, the, the veil is thinner for, for people who have had that experience, or is there a pipeline that is established that allows you to connect to that uh, other side more easily than other people may? And again, this is not just you. I've heard this story. It's very common. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. So, I mean, I saw a ghost, and there were all kind of paranormal activities and, and things that happened around me after my near-death experience, and I thought, okay, so I crossed over, and now now things are just kind of flimsy now. <laughs> you know, yeah, like right. I, I have this ability, and I would tell ghosts to go back to the light and, you know, just kind of usher them back and assure them how wonderful it is, and, and there were, you know, just moments in the classroom when I'd get you know, different ancestors, usually grandparents, who were coming in for their uh, their grandchildren, and I think a lot of times they do want to be their guides, and I didn't necessarily tell my students that I was using that guidance, but I asked them things and, and gave them hints, and so, yeah, I think that veil just is a little bit thinner. <laughs> Now, you, uh, on your website, again, it's your name, Trisha Barker with NDE, so trishabarkernde.com, um, you offer a lot of different consultation services. Tell us, tell us what people uh, would find if they went to your website and wanted to connect with you more. Well, if, if you want to connect with me and lots of near-death experiencers, the first thing is this NDE summit that is happening on June 23rd where you can ask your questions of Dr. Ethan Alexander, Dr. Raymond Moody, Dr. Jeffrey Long, many near-death experiencers. David Ditchfield is this amazing, uh, he has an amazing story where he was run over by a train in England, and he came back, and he only played guitar, but he came back and he had this musical ability, and he created a symphony that was played by the BBC and got the standing ovation. So, you know, God kind of shows off, I think, (laughs) with some (laughs) near-death experiencers and really really gives them some amazing gifts. But, but yeah, I've had a lot of connection with other experiencers. And and then I do offer some uh, guidance to people. I'm, I'm fairly intuitive. And, and really, I think all these years of working with students and using that angelic guidance and that um, connection to the other side, I just enjoy being present with people and seeing what comes through for their benefit and their healing. Now, the, the summit, that's an online summit, right? People can do it from anywhere they are. Yes, yeah. So it's, yeah, you don't have to travel. And I have lots of years of education and online education, and this helped many busy parents and people who didn't have enough money for college. They could take online classes. So I thought, hey, why not bring some of these conferences that people can't travel to 
to the online form, format and let it be more affordable and easy for people to just engage with this. Because many people who are on the fence, so say they doubt a little, if they sit and they listen to near-death experiencers for 12 hours and then get all their questions answered, a lot of times at the end of that, they have this kind of breath of relief and they go, you know what? I think I believe now. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they really get to this point where they they just don't doubt anymore. When someone reads the book, what do you hope they walk away with? Um, you know, it depends on the reader. But what I hope is if they're agnostic and this happened with one of my friends from college, one of my dear friends, and I, I love her. She's a, I mean, we've had many arguments and <laughs> conversations about spirituality. And after she read my book, she said, you know what, I spent the afternoon just thinking about what happens when we die. And I was I did a little happy dance. I was like, she thought about it. Oh, my God, I'm so happy. <laughs> so if you're agnostic, I just want you to imagine, you know, what if, if what, I ha- what happened to me happened to you and what that might be like if your spirit continued on. And, and if you're a believer, then I just want you to enjoy it and to walk a mile in my footsteps. And like any memoir, I'm just trying to share my life and hopefully add healing to yours. Clearly, this part of your story has just begun. You just released the book. Um, you're talking about this experience more publicly. Uh, but what's next for you? What, what, what do you? Where do you see the next step? <laughs> you know, a friend of mine wrote a screenplay for the book, and and I picked this friend because he was excited about the book, helped me edit it, and it seems like kind of heavy lifting, you know, to imagine a movie. But I have had, I have dreams and guidance from the other side that many people who don't read they connect with that film format, and I'm, I meant to step out there and just go ahead and see where this leads. So that's one thing. But, but beyond that, I, I also have um, a second book which I'm working on, and this is funded by the college. Uh, this is for college success, and it's a book that looks at healing at all levels and how college students can be more successful. So I want to sum up my research and lots of research from other people and create a guidebook for them. Now, I don't get a lot of opportunities to go to the movies, and I don't get a lot of opportunities to watch these things on Netflix. I'm always reading for the show or doing the show. (laughs) But am I correct in, um, have I seen a lot of, uh, several films show up recently uh, about near-death experience types topics. Uh, I there's, think the one that just came out about a, a boy that drowned, but he came back. I mean, those types of things. Um, there like the, are more that I think are reaching the mainstream, but there's yeah. I think more documentaries than movies. So Is that um, because people are becoming more accepting of this? this I notion? think so. You know, I was, I was recently on Dr. Oz, and oh, yeah. um, near-death experiences are one of his highest-rating shows, and that's why he continues to have them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I think people are interested. And, you know, with that, are there some people out there who are going to make up stories? Probably. You know, I hate to say that, but there probably are. But you you can tell, um, this is how, how I give advice to people, the energy of someone, if it's really focused on love, not hate, and it's really focused on just making this world a better place, then that's probably an indicator of someone who's had a real experience. You know, we continue to hear um, news from organized religion that church attendance is down. I mean, I go through my small town of Cooperstown, and there may be five churches, and I think three of them are closed down. Um You know, people just aren't attending church like they used to. But is this message that you're delivering a new way for people to respect, practice, and embrace uh, spirituality, if if you can't use the word religion. I'm not sure which is more appropriate. I hope that this creates a kind and loving community. You know, I think that churches are great because they often provide community, and I think we're often too isolated in our culture, and so I encourage people to get involved in whatever, whether it's a church, whether it's a service organization to their community. But we really do need, I think, that connection with other people. And is near-death experiences, I think, for many people, give so much comfort when they've lost someone, then they go to these places. And maybe they are more interested in the summit or a conference or 
we're just hearing from a lot of near-death experiencers. I've noticed that grief is what brings people to the table when it, when yeah. it comes to near-death experiences. Okay, so one word answer to this, if that's possible. Is there, <laughs> is there an afterlife? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I just got a glimpse of it, but but that glimpse was beautiful. You and have no doubt. Changed my world. You have no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt at all. Um, Trisha, where can people get the book? Um, it, it is an audible, which I'm really excited about. A wonderful narrator, Leslie Howard, narrated it, and you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Simon and Schuster's webpage. It is available pretty much everywhere: Google Play, iTunes. And I know the summit is this coming weekend, I believe. Uh, can people still be involved in that if they want to be? Yeah. So if um, if they go to theuniversityofheaven.com, they will see information about that summit. If they go to my website, and my name is spelled Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, Tricia Barker, com. there's information about it. Um, if they want to email the University of Heaven uh, at um, gmail.com, then they can get more information. But there is, there's plenty of links everywhere. If they type in uh, theuniversityofheaven.com, they will find it. Tricia, thank you so much for being with us tonight and telling us your story. Oh, thank you. It was a great way of asking questions. I enjoyed it. Thank you to Tricia Barker uh, for joining us on the show. Now, you said, uh, Orion, that Lisa Smart was going to be with us, too, but she had an issue, so she couldn't. Yeah, she was, unfortunately. It was yeah. a family emergency, but... Um... She and and Raymond uh, potentially Raymond Moody as well, but he's not in great health. That's too bad. We've had Raymond on the show before, and of course Lisa was on the show before talking about Final Words Project. That was a great show. But Trisha was awesome. It was great to have her on uh, again. Her website Trisha Barker N D E dot com. Uh, all sorts of information there, particularly if you're interested in the uh, the online summit that's coming up this weekend. Some pretty cool stuff there. So. Um, are you over this cold that you gave me? Because <laughs> it's not the same cold. Mine lasted two days. Well, I don't know if it's the same cold or not, but man, you got all I know is you came in here hacking up a lung, and uh, you got the Scaracon uh, crud. I think yeah, well, something. I, I, I mean, I feel okay, but I'm still all congested. So hopefully tomorrow that'll that'll uh, resolve itself. Uh, who do we have on tomorrow night? We've got Ken, a- uh, Ken Honda. Happy money. Happy money. That's right. We're going to show people how to, he's going to show people how to create a life of abundance by changing their relationship with money. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.